back to the book of Acts and chapter 16, Acts chapter 16. And uh, yeah, it's shortly before we come to um, baptize uh, the, our friends this evening, I'm going to say a few word, words from this, this passage in, that I read, the story of the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16. Um, we've been going through a series on the book of Acts. Um, and so, yeah, in many ways, our baptism service tonight just, just coincides with uh, the, the passage um, that we're looking at in the series. So in this series, we would be in, in chapter 16 and probably thinking of this particular story here, the conversion of the Philippian jailer. Now, quite recently in the series, I was saying that the book of Acts at this point is telling us the story of how the gospel is spreading from, you know, its, its, its uh, lowly origins in, in Jerusalem and Judea and spreading now, historically speaking, into the Roman Empire and extending to the rest of the, um, of the world as it is. Um, and, and one thing that's interesting in, in the book of Acts, interesting to notice, is that almost invariably where the message of the gospel is being preached, what you also find is this act of baptism, right? So where the gospel is preached, um, that, the, that, that baptism was, was joined to it. So baptism is performed frequently in the book of Acts. Um, and, and so that's interesting. Even as the, the gospel spreads and where, where, where there's... Whether, it's they're, whether they're preaching to Jews or they're preaching to Gentiles, they're preaching to different people, um, they always ask them to take part in this uh, vital ordinance this com- of, of baptism. And of course, it had to be the, way, the case because the, the Lord Jesus Christ commanded them to do so. And so even in 2022, when the gospel is preached and people come to faith in Jesus Christ, we carry that same symbol. The book of Acts reminds us that that symbol would always have its significance. But what the frequency of the symbol in the book of Acts also shows us is that there is a kind of objective meaning. You know, the baptism represents a particular thing. You can, you can look through the book of Acts and you can see the trajectory. You can see the events that always lead up to baptism. And the same things are being present. Right, so for example, baptism is always this is is this means this this response this way of 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 responding to the message of the gospel. Baptism is this way of um, of someone confessing that they are now joining the side of Jesus Christ. They're now on Christ's team and they want to follow Him. Um, that repeats itself over and over again. And so it's no different in this story. Um, You're going to see the same factors. And and so it means that we can speak quite clearly, we can speak quite confidently about the significance of baptism and what baptism is meant to be showing us uh, and what baptism should be showing us when it happens tonight. And you can see that also in this story of the Philippian jailer. The Philippian jailer, uh, he ends... His experience with these messengers of Christ, Paul and Silas, ends with him asking how, ends with him being baptized, right, after he's asked um, them how he could be saved, right? So Paul and Silas are in prison. Um, 
for preaching the gospel, for doing gospel work. They're in prison. And while they're in prison, there is a, a great earthquake that shakes the foundation of the prisons, sets their chains free, sets them free from their, from their, their stocks. The, 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 the jailer, the man who's meant to be in charge of Paul and Silas, thinking that they had escaped because he sees that their chains are broken, He's petrified, he's trembling, he's, he's ready to kill himself, actually, before Paul lets him know, no, we're alive and well, don't, don't kill yourself. Um, he'll be in great trouble with his superiors if he had lost his, uh, his, his, uh, his prisoners. And, and then he asks this question, right, this fundamental question in, in verse 31, sorry, in verse 30, says, what must I do to be saved? What should I do to be saved? That's the question he asks. Paul, Paul and Silas essentially teach him what, what, how to be saved. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he, when he chooses to make his lot with the Christians, when he says, I, I'm going to believe on Jesus, there's a response of baptism. And so let me draw your attention to just three things that we see present in the, um, in the, in the, in the Philippian jailer's baptism. And, and, and basically, these are three things that are always present in a baptism. This is what baptism is signifying. When someone comes to step into the waters of baptism, this is what they're confessing has happened to them or, or is happening to them. This is what they are affirming. The first thing you notice with the Philippian jailer, again, as I say, ends with him being baptized. But the, the first thing that you notice with experience, that has happened in his experience is there's been a conviction. He's been convicted. He's had this deep conviction, right, uh, of, of God. There's a conviction of, of God. Um, he's, he's, he's aware now that there is a God and that he has to deal with this God, right? The, the person who is, is baptized, is getting baptized, someone who is aware that, that God is, is real, and God is, I have to deal with God. And what's he convicted about? What's he convicted about God? I think what symbolizes his conviction about God here is his encounter with this terrible presence of God, right? So the earthquake, right? I think it's, it's this encounter with with. Uh, the God of Paul and Silas. He, he, he knew quite well who they were. I don't know if he had heard them preach a full sermon yet, but he knew they were gospel preachers, and they, 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 they were people who were always saying that, oh, Jesus is the one who saves, Jesus is the Messiah, and they were all calling people to come, and um, they were all calling people to come and, uh, and, and follow Jesus and give their lives to Jesus. And um, quite clearly... Prior to this earthquake, for example, he, he didn't care much for Paul and Silas and their message. He just thought it was one of many other messages. Messages, You know, like people say, oh, uh, religion is, is just uh, is politics, or, or religion is just like a drug and people are trying to control, and all religions are the same. He, he thought so. He had his own myths, and he thought Christianity is just like any other religion. Just People just follow the things that they were raised up in. They're all born into their own religions, and then they... They pursue that. That's all it is. Until the earthquake, until he realizes, and it becomes clear to him that in all his life of following all these myths 
and religions. He, he never met a God like this who could uh, shake the foundations of the prisons for his own people. He, he, none of his gods were, were living. This is the act, the movement of a living God. And so all of a sudden, he's aware of the presence of God, the awesome presence of God. Later on, we read in the passage that Paul and Silas explained, they, proclaimed, they taught the household the word of God. And one of the ways by which we, we come to learn about the, the presence of God and who God is, is through the teaching of his word. So I, I said the person who becomes baptized is convicted of God's existence. But what about God? Right? Many people believe that God exists, but what do you believe about God? One of the things that the person who's getting baptized believes about God is that he is holy and we are not. That God is perfect and righteous and we are not. And no doubt as the disciples, as they explained the ways of God to the Philippian jailer, they told him about that. They said, listen, we, we don't know you. We've never met you. But we know that just like us, you have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We don't know you, but we know that just like us, you are far from God. Because none of us are close to God by nature. By nature, we are children, the Bible says, of wrath. That means by nature, we are in a bad relationship with God. Because God is holy and we are not. Because we don't love the things that God loves. Because we break God's law. Because our hearts are not wired to rejoice in the perfection and the beauty of God. Even though he made us for himself. There's not some kind of natural affinity or love for God. It's not true. And this God is holy. And he's righteous. And he has an awesome, fearful presence. And for a long time, the Philippian jailer could be asleep to that. He, he could ignore that. He could, he, he could suppress conscience. He could deny the fact that he was a sinner. He, he, could, make, he could use all kinds of platitudes to cover up what he was doing and say, I just make mistakes. I'm just an imperfect being. We're all imperfect. Rather than confess that I'm a sinner and I'm far from God. That's why I love to do the things that I love to do. That's why I live in God's world like I don't owe it all to him. It's because by nature I'm in sin. And it was until, it's, it's conviction that came that actually there's nothing more important than who I am before God. There's nothing more important than the reality that one day God will call me to judgment. God can judge me. There's nothing more important than that. I've been suppressing it. I've been pretending like I can, I can do all these other things with my life and be fulfilled in them as if I don't know that God's judgment still abides. And it's a frightening thing to fall into the hands of God. And of course the most important thing is to deal with the one who has the power of life and death in his hands. Of course, the most important thing is to deal with the God who searches me. And the Philippian jailer was, could have been aloof to that all this time. But God met him in an awesome, terrible way. And very often God does that and he, he causes us to be alert, to be awoken. And he does that through his word. As, the word ex, as his word exposes us. The Bible speaks about the, God, the word of God exposing us, showing us that we are exposed to God. 
God knows me deeply. He knows who I am. He knows my nature. He knows that I'm far from him. And he calls me to repent or face his judgment. That's the conviction that leads a man to baptism. It's the conviction that I'm far from God. Maybe, maybe this conviction is, is, um, is further strengthened as he reflects on the example of Paul and Silas. You know, earlier in the passage, the Bible says that while they were in prison, before God visited with this powerful earthquake, that Paul and Silas were singing and praying. And even in their prisons, in their prison cell, even in their chains, they had a certain peace. Even in their chains, they had a certain joy that not all the chains of this world could take away. And maybe he reflects on how different their life was to his. He, he reflects on this higher peace, this higher joy that they experience that he doesn't have. And very often, the terrors of conviction come to men and women that way. They might want to deny that Jesus is real. They want to deny that Jesus is true. But very often, they can't deny the transformation that they see. They can't deny that these, these, these Christians, they have a peace about them. They have a joy about them. And it's not a peace that needs... Um, it's not a peace or a joy that needs to be, uh, that needs to be greedy or, 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 or that needs to drink to excess or, or that needs to, 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 to numb, numb the mind. It's not a joy uh, that needs to deny reality. It, it's a joy through the, the, the tough times of life. It's a joy that happens even though they're sober people. It's a joy that they have. Um, it, it's not ultimately in stuff and things. It's, it's, it's a joy that's deep within. And very often the contrasting life. Their life is different. I can, I can see God in their lives. It can bring a conviction. But the person who is baptized is first and someone who is convicted. They're convicted of, of who God is. They're convicted of their need for God. They're convicted that they can't run from him anymore. They're convicted that it's so foolish to try and run from God knowing that one day I will face him. Face him in judgment. Face him. There's nothing I can do about that. I can party the day away. I can be as vain as I want. I can watch all the movies in the world and try and um, numb myself to this reality by loads of entertainment. But God is still God. And one day I have to stand before him. There's a deep conviction. It's not a conviction that people always like. People don't want us to be, don't want you to be so serious. They don't want you to take things so seriously. They don't want you to speak about such deep things. But the man who's getting baptized, the woman who's getting baptized, the boy, the girl who's getting baptized is someone who's saying, I can't shake this conviction off that God is what matters the most. And then, of course, having had that, that con conviction, um, he, he asked the question, what should I do to be saved? He's convicted. I need a savior. I need a deliverer. Who can deliver me from this mess I'm in? Because no man can. If it's God I've sinned against, only God can. What must I do to know that I'm saved from the judgment, the wrath of God? Have you ever asked that question? What must I do 
to be saved? Maybe not in those words, but have you ever asked those questions? That question. Has that question ever convicted you deeply? What must I do to be? Have you ever felt yourself in need of saving? In need of salvation? The person who is getting baptized is someone who has asked that question. And sometimes my simple prayer is that men and women will ask that question. It's only by God's grace that we ever ask that question. Oh, happy day when we asked that question. Oh, happy day when we weren't so, we, we weren't so full of, of trivialities and trivial things. Oh, happy day when we weren't so consumed with entertainment. Oh, oh, oh happy day when we, we had the presence of mind to say, what must I do to be saved? How can I be saved? I'm in need of saving. the person who has had to ask that question and it makes sense and it resounds and it occupies. If you, if you found out that you had a, a terminal illness, your, 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 your primary concern, your priority in life will be, can something be done to deliver me from this? What can, what can I do to escape this judgment? And when a man is asking, what must I do to be saved? There's no more important question. There's nothing more important. Not friends, not family. Not wealth, not career. Not entertainment or pleasures. Nothing is more important than that question. That's who gets baptized. You, you get baptized because this is the most important question in your life. What must I do to be saved is a deep conviction and then Paul and Silas give the answer. Believe in the Lord Jesus. The second thing that drives a man to be baptized, a woman to be baptized, is that they are going to, they want to convert to Jesus. They, they, they see Jesus Christ as the one who can save. And so they want to be converted to him. They've, they, they've been on, they've been, they've been opposed to him. They've been doing life by themselves. They've been thinking that they could run from the judgment of God. But now that they see, now they see they're foolish. Now they're full of deep conviction. Now they want to be saved. And they, they see that Jesus is the only one who can save. And so they're converted to him. It's a conversion. Baptism is a symbol that some, a man or a woman is converted to Jesus. Paul and Silas say to them, believe on the Lord Jesus. No doubt they explained who Jesus Christ was. He is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is the one who God sent into the world 2,000 plus years ago to fulfill salvation history. Jesus Christ is the one who God sent into the world to save men and women from their sin. Jesus Christ is the one who God provided to deliver us from the judgment that is coming. And God's Son, born of the Virgin Mary. He lived in this world perfectly. And everywhere he went, he was doing good. He worked miracles. And he taught the greatest truths. He never told a lie. But that was not the end. He came to die. The very Son of God. He fulfilled God's law perfectly. And he did what sinful men and women like my, ourselves could not do. And he died for the cross, on the cross for us. And you say, why does a man obeying God's law perfectly and then dying on the cross for it, why does it have anything to do with being able to save me? Because that man is not just any man. 
He is God himself coming into the world. And the gospel story is that God has come into the world to save us from our misery, our sin, our judgment, our death that we deserve. What must I do to be saved? You believe on Jesus. And the man who is getting baptized, the woman who is getting baptized has seen Jesus. And they say he is Lord. He is Savior. He saves from sin. He can save me. I was convicted a moment earlier that I am in trouble. I'm in eternal trouble. But he can save me. I was convicted that I was in danger, in mortal danger. But he can save me. And they see Jesus. And know what Paul says. He says, believe on the Lord Jesus. It's the word of faith. He says, it's faith. Put your trust in him. Don't try and fix this yourself. Don't try and sort this out yourself. Believe on what he has done. Don't try and make yourself worthy to come to God. Don't try and make yourself ready. Don't try and fix yourself. Stop looking at yourself. Look at Jesus. Believe on Jesus. Put your faith in him. Receive all that God has given in his son Jesus. In, God has given us perfect cleansing. That's why we sang a moment ago. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? The person who gets baptized is saying, I've put all my trust, all my life in Jesus to save me. I knew there was an issue with me and God. I saw my problem with me and God, my impossible problem. And I've, I've, I've stopped short of trying to fix it by myself or try to, trying to deny that it doesn't exist. I've believed in Jesus. I've rested on him. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. God's grace alone. God's provision alone. Nothing. We sing a hymn sometimes. We say, nothing in my hand I bring. I have nothing to add. I have nothing to offer. And I don't need to have anything to offer because Jesus has paid it all. He has done everything. I just have to believe him. I just have to rely on him. I have to lean on him. I have to rest on him. And the person who is baptized is someone who's saying, I'm resting all my life on Jesus. And so I call him Lord. Believe on the Lord Jesus. And the word Lord is a reference to his master, his ruler. Because only Jesus Christ has saved, all my life is for Jesus. The man or woman who is getting baptized is saying, now Jesus is everything. Jesus is the Lord of my life. He's the Lord of how I do family. He's the Lord of how I do friendship. He's the Lord of how I do money. He's the Lord of, of everything. Of, he, he's the Lord of where I go. He's the Lord of when I'm sleeping. He's Lord. In everything I do, the only question, the primary question is what does Jesus want? How do I live for Jesus? Christ in, Jesus is now living in me. He's my Lord, the person who has been baptized. Is, that's what baptism is saying. I'm now, I'm now on Jesus' team, but Jesus is a Lord. Yes, you're on his team, absolutely. Yes, you're on Christ, but to be on Jesus' side is to recognize him as a ruler. 
it's, it's very hard to understand the extent to which that is true. We don't really have, at least in our side of the, of the, of the, of the, of the world, of the, of the world we, don't, we don't really have many absolute rulers. People who rule absolutely, and, and, and their word is the final say. We're, not, we're certainly not used to that in our country, right? We, we're used to arguing with our MPs and all kind of conversations and discussion. We vote them out. You know, we're just used to that. Jesus is not so much an MP. Not so much, you're not, you're not in his parliament. That's why the Bible never says, come into the parliament. It says, come into his kingdom. He rules absolutely. But on the, other, on the other hand, we don't have examples of absolute rules, absolute rulers on the other side of the world because there are places in the world where people rule absolutely and no one questions them. But when we think of those people, we use words like dictators, despots, and those have negative connotations because we feel like, because they rule selfishly and to oppress and to exploit. But Jesus is not like that because there's no... There's no better life to live than to be ruled by Jesus. It's so true that one writer in the Bible once calls Christians slaves. You would never want to be called a slave unless it's to a good thing. Someone says, I'm a slave to loving people. None of us are going to be, it's it's heavy language, but none of us are going to oppose them. We're like, oh, that's a good thing. I'm a slave to doing good. You say, "That's, that's fine. And the Bible says we're slaves to Jesus because everything in him is good, because everything in him is right, because Jesus knows everything better than I do, and his way is far better than my way, and I would, there's no other way to live. So yes, we're slaves to him, he's our master, but it's not, a, it's not, it's not in a bitter way. I'm not upset about it. I'm not sad that I have to do his will. It fills me with great joy. To know that he's my, he's my master. That, that's, what, that's who gets baptized. The person who is getting baptized is rejoicing that Jesus is their master. They convert to him. And, and Paul says, believe and you will be saved. Saved. This language of salvation, deliverance. It's the language of eternity as well. The, the Bible says that Jesus Christ died so that those who believe on him will have eternal life. You know, I don't know, you might not hear it much, it might not be spoken of much, but you know, the way the scriptures tell us about what's going to happen to human beings, our final destination, is that this world is not the end. Even though we all die, we all have spirits, we have souls, and one day our souls will rise again, and God will give us bodies to stand before him in judgment. And that the end is either eternal life with God or eternal punishment for sin. When the Philippian jailer is asking, what must I do to be saved? Now, I don't even know if he understands how deeply his question goes. But when Paul says, believe on Jesus and you'll be saved, he's saying, believe on Jesus and you will be saved from eternal Punishment, eternal damnation, eternal suffering, eternal separation from God. You know, when I first ever had a deep conviction about the gospel and wanted to follow Jesus, it was someone telling me about hell. And even though most people can't explain hell adequately or correctly, we don't, 
We have a deep conviction within. I, have, I had the conviction of hell within. I was sensitive to the reality of judgment. So he didn't have to explain much. I just believed. I just knew there was judgment. And I asked myself, who can save me from judgment? But not just that. I also knew I didn't just want to die. I knew there was a beauty about life. I knew that life, we weren't meant to die. And not only does Jesus save me from death and hell, he gives me eternal life so that I don't have to think that all that's going to happen to me after all I've done in this life, after all I've experienced, after all the friends I've made, after all the love I've known, after all the conversations, the good and the bad things, that all that's going to happen to me is I just die. That's it. And all that's left is a memory. And I, I, don't, I don't want that. No one wants that. And Jesus gives eternal life. He rose again so that those who believe in him can have the assurance that we will rise again. What it means to be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And the person being baptized is converting to this hope that one day, we must all come to the grave, but the grave will not be the end. That when we stand, when I look at death, I can say, death, where is your sting? Where is your power? Christ has broken your power. Death is not going to be the end for me. Once, I, one day I will rise again, and I will see the Jesus who loved me before I loved him. It's the promise, it's the hope of heaven filling our hearts that makes me walk into the waters of baptism. Christ has promised me eternal life. And then there's this, there's also the change. He converts to Christ. He's following Jesus. And when he's converted to Christ, that issues out in a change. Knowing Jesus in your heart, receiving him, receiving his grace, also means that there's a change. There's a change from the Bible will use imagery like darkness to life, from, uh, to light, sorry, from, from death to life. There's a change. Sometimes it looks, it looks just very like, uh, tangible. It's like saying, the things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. It's a change. It, 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 it does look like that. There's a change. I used to still... I no longer still. Uh, and and, and, and you, you see this in the fact that this part ends up talking about how he washes the wounds that he inflicted on Paul and Silas. That he, that he must have been a part, of, he, he might have been a part in inflicting on them. They had been whipped but, and brutalized. But now, having been changed, uh, the Bible says he, was, he brought them into his house. He set food before them. He washed their wounds. He was kind to them. Jesus had begun to change his heart, change his perspective on life, the way he acted, the way he treated others, right? That's what having Jesus in the heart does. The person that's getting baptized says, I'm changing from a life of darkness, a life of living in sin. Yes, I, I used to live for myself. I used to love all my, my, my pleasures of sin. I used to, whatever my, my, my selfish desire was, that's what I did. That's what I, I did what I wanted. But now... Christ has changed me. I don't want to do those things anymore. 
I don't want to break God's law anymore. I, I, I love, I see that God's way is right and beautiful. And you walk into the baptism waters and it's, you come out, it's a symbol. You go in and you come out and it's a new life. You're a new creature. You have new desires. You're not the same person that you used to be. And to a large degree, you will never know that person anymore. God has made you a new creation. He's changed you. New desires, new passion, a new passion for him, a new love for his people. Worship, you, 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 you want to read God's word now, not because you're being forced to. You want to pray, not because someone is making you, but because God is your father in heaven. And after all, what do, what do children do when they have problems? They cry to their father. They cry to their parents. And now you just cry to your God. And you understand his truth. Why? Because you, you know his voice. The sheep hear the shepherd's voice. Um, if you know someone and you love them, you understand them. You understand their tones. You, you understand the way they speak. And now you understand what God is saying in his word. Uh, again, it says he, he was rejoicing. Over and over again in the book of Acts, this is one of the fruits of conversion, of becoming a Christian. Joy. A deep joy. Not, not a joy that's based on me having all this stuff. Not a joy that's based on me winning over other people. You know, some of us, a lot of our joy comes from feeling like I'm better than someone else. A lot of joy comes from me having all the attention. But none of that. This is a joy deep within that comes from knowing that God is my father, that Jesus has saved me, that I belong to him. It's a deep joy. I can't explain it. Apart from saying that it's divine and it's because God is with me. So sometimes things are not looking good outwardly. Sometimes I'm sick in my body. Sometimes I don't have money. Sometimes I'm, I, people upset me, betray me. Uh, whatever it is, all these things happen outside. But deep within, I know God is for me. And that means I have a deep joy. The joy of the Holy Spirit. And don't forget, he also showed this faith to others in his household. He told them about, he wanted them to hear about Jesus. And that's another change that happens. Now I want to find opportunities to tell people that Jesus saves. And even my best friends, the people I love the most in this life, I love them so deeply, but I feel that their, their lives are so empty without Jesus. I feel so burdened that they don't know the Savior. I really want them to know that they need to be saved from death. They need to be saved from God's judgment. They need to be saved. Well, that's something of what baptism Wants to symbolize. I don't want you to symbolize tonight. I don't want you to misunderstand the symbolism. What's happening here? What, what the, the deep testimony that, that, that baptism is sharing with you. Baptism is symbolizing a far deeper work than the, the depths of the water that these folks will be buried in tonight. It's, it's symbolizing something so deep, a work of the Spirit. Baptism is symbolizing that Jesus Christ has set this man and this woman free. It's symbolizing that they belong to Jesus. But because baptism is symbolizing that, I can ask you this question this evening. Have you been baptized? If you've not been baptized, have you been baptized? Have you been in the waters of baptism? If not, why not? Why have you not been baptized? Is it because you don't appreciate what this baptism is symbolizing? You don't think you need to be saved? I will say to you, the Bible tells us, 
All of us have sinned. Have you not sinned? Have you not broken God's law? Don't you feel that you're guilty before God? Why have you not been baptized? Is it because you don't want to surrender to Jesus? You, you believe that there is sin. You believe that there is judgment. But you, you know that to, 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 to be saved, you have to give your life to Jesus. And you're thinking that you, you still want to keep your other masters. And I'm telling you, none of them can save you from God's judgment. And I'm telling you, none of them can give you true joy. And I'm telling you, don't be deceived. Jesus Christ is a loving master. Bring your burdens to him, even the burden of your sin, and he will give you rest. But don't make the foolish decision of choosing your, your lust, your sin, over the need for a savior and salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your faith in him. This doesn't require money. Without money, come and buy. Doesn't require education. It doesn't require any reputation. Just believe. Rest on him. Believe that Jesus died and rose again for you and you'll be saved. Amen.